We'll go ahead and open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 24. We're going to continue our series using the law lawfully, looking at the Old Testament laws and seeing if or how they apply to us as Gentile believers. Three to look at today. Hopefully we'll have enough time to get to all three of them. Just see how it goes. First one we're going to be looking at in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And this is going to be the law regarding the duties of a new husband. Let me get my Bible turned there. There we go. Deuteronomy 24. Verse number five. When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war. Neither shall he be charged with any business, but he shall be free at home one year, and shall cheer up his wife, which he hath taken. Okay, so this is one of the commands in the Old Testament. The Jews were commanded that any man who had taken a new wife uh, was, was to be exempt from military service or any other type of, of government service or anything that would take him away from home uh, in the first year. He was to stay at home. And the language here shall cheer up his wife because she's going to be depressed finding out what a lousy, sorry husband she just married. So he needs to stay there and cheer her up. Uh, but no, it's, it's the idea of getting his home established, uh, getting everything uh, taken care of for his wife, all of her needs provided for uh, so that she doesn't have to start this new life all on her own. He can be there, and they can start their new life to, together. Uh, it's a it's a very sensible uh, thing. It shows us that that God cares about individuals. This is not something that has to do with holiness before God or our relationship with God. It's just God caring about individual families and husbands and wives, and, and showing His care for them as individuals. It's, it's a very interesting command in that aspect. Uh, but that's the Old Testament command. In the New Testament, there's absolutely no reference to this command. Uh, there's no indication anywhere that this was a universal command. It was just something that God said, you know, hey, in, in my perfect government that I'm going to set up for you and for your people, I want this to be the way it is. I want the husband to be free at home in order to take care of his wife for the first year of marriage. So he's, he implemented that for the Jews. He didn't require it for anyone else. It's just a, a good example of the kind of care that uh, God himself has for husbands and wives and that the government should have for the family structure. Uh, I think it's a sensible thing. I don't like the idea of uh, men getting married and then immediately shipping off. You know, men in the military getting married and immediately they're, they're shipped off overseas. They're gone for say, you know, in the Navy, and they're gone for six months on, on ship, and they don't see their wife for six months, and their wife is starting a new life in a new location. She's probably got uh, military housing that she's moved into, and she's just there by herself. And, you know, of course, there's support groups that we have in, in our military with the wives getting their associations and uh, various things that the military provides in support of the families, but it would just be so much better if he's given a leave of absence for 
a, a lengthy period. It may not have to be a year. It could just be any little leave of absence that is enough for him to get the wife settled and taken care of, and then he can then leave and continue his tour of duty. Maybe they should get married early. He knows he's, he's got a tour of duty somewhere. Yeah. Or wait till they get back. Yep. Also, very good, uh, sensible precautions, which I would advise if I were advising a young man in that situation, I would say, well, you know, the Bible said this for a reason. God understood that new families need to be together for the first part of their, their new life. So don't start your new life just before you deploy. You know, either wait till you get back or give you enough, give yourself enough time before you deploy uh, to be able to start your new family. On the other hand, if he got killed in Vietnam, he would have had a lot of she would have got a lot of benefits. Right, and that was one of the motivations uh, in many of those cases is that uh, if something happens to him, at least she'll get the benefits from that. Uh, and, you know, I can understand going back and forth either way. Uh, like I said, it's it's not a command for us uh, as New Testament believers. It's just a command that God had for the, the Jewish government uh, in their time period. But I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's something that, that young men, when they're thinking about marriage, they really need to take that into consideration uh, and not just get married and then leave. Like, they need to take into consideration the fact that they need to be there for their wives uh, during that time, that transition period. So that's the, the duties of a new husband, the command there uh, in the Old Testament. That one was real quick. The next two are going to be a little bit longer, especially the, the second one here. Uh, and we're going to look now at circumcision. So let's go to Genesis chapter 17. Now the first thing you should recognize is that Genesis 17 takes place before the law of Moses. And so it kind of gives this hint that maybe this is talking about a universal law because it's, it's under the, the Noahic system rather than under the, the Mosaic system. But that's not exactly the case when we read the, the text. Right, let's go to Genesis chapter 17 and verse number 10. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you every man-child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant." And this is part of the Abrahamic covenant. The circumcision was specifically for the children of Abraham that were in, under the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant uh, that God made between him and Abraham. And you can see this only applies to the Jews. All the descendants of Abraham were to be circumcised, but it only applies to those descendants, the descendants of Abraham uh, as the the promised or the uh, chosen people of God. So you can see in verse number 10, the phrase between me and you and thy seed, it's not God saying this shall be for everyone. 
It's just between me and you and thy seed. Uh, every man child among you, so again, specifically just to the, the children of Abraham. Um, <clears throat> verse number three, betwixt me and you. Again, it's just between God and Abraham and, and his descendants. Uh, every man child in your generations, uh, he that is born in the house or of any stranger which is not of thy seed, born in thy house, bought with thy money. Go all the way down to verse 14, shall be cut off from his people. The penalty was not, this is now a sin, this is now worthy of death, worthy of some other physical punishment. It's just, no, he's, he, if someone is not circumcised, then he's just not part of the descendants of Abraham, the, the chosen people of God. That's it. He's just not part of this particular group of people. And so it was just something that was designed to set aside the Jewish people as special people for God. And that's what the circumcision was designed for. Now, foreigners could partake in it. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, verse number 48. This is actually uh, part of the <coughs> uh, prescription for foreigners becoming Jews. Uh, the Jewish people were not exclusive just to physical heredity. Anyone could become a Jew. We have the, the term proselyte that shows up many times in the Bible. That's what that's referring to. It's, it's Gentiles who chose to become Jews. They became Jewish citizens. They became children of the promise, uh, all because of, of being adopted into the Jewish family. Uh, and the part of the procedure in doing that was circumcision. Verse number 48 here. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord. The Passover to the Lord was just for the Jews. So a stranger wants to sojourn with you, so he's coming to live among you, and he wants to keep the Passover of the Lord. That means he's wanting to become a Jew. He's wanting to accept uh, the Jewish faith. He's wanting to be a Jewish citizen. Uh, then let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. So then he's the same as any other Jew. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. So uh, foreigners were to be circumcised if they wanted to become Jewish and take part in the Passover and all the other uh, provisions of Jewish law. But it's interesting to note, in the New Testament, we're, we're kind of familiar with uh, the idea that uh, God focuses on things like circumcision of the heart. He is a Jew that is circumcised by uh, internally rather than the Jew that is circumcised out externally. Um, all that, that's in Romans. We're very familiar with that in the New Testament. But it's interesting, if you study the circumcision in the Old Testament, God places a very strong emphasis on circumcision of the heart in the Old Testament, not just in the New. The New Testament, when Paul talks about circumcision of the heart, and then he talks and accuses the Jews of being uncircumcised in heart and ears, uh, he's quoting the Old Testament when he does that. And so let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse number 16. <clears throat> Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. And then let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 
and verse number 6. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. Okay, and so here we have a little bit of a description of what it means to be circumcised in the heart. That is to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. And so as you look at circumcision throughout the Bible, there's two different types. There's the circumcision of the flesh and then there's the circumcision of the heart. And the circumcision of the flesh, we're familiar with the circumcision of the heart. That means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and by doing that, to live. And it's referring to, to salvation through trusting and loving the Lord. Now, in this case, is he just talking to the Jews? Uh, well, when, yeah, circumcision of, uh, of the flesh was just for the Jews. Right, circumcision exactly. of the heart... He applies that to everyone. Um, I don't know if I got there's a there's a couple passages in in uh, Ezekiel and one of the other prophets where he refers to the uh, foreign nations, the Gentile nations of that time, as being uncircumcised in heart. Uh, and so that concept of being circumcised in heart applied to both Jews and Gentiles, even back in the Old Testament. Um, so, so the stranger, I mean, the stranger can. <laughs> Can, can, can desire to become a Jew, in which case then you would have to partake in the Passover and get circumcised, but then additionally, I mean, he'd have to turn his heart over to God. Right. And that's ultimate. Right. Yep. <clears throat> yep, have to be. Circumcision of the heart was the focus uh, all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4. <clears throat> Jeremiah 4 and verse number 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire, and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. And so again, you have the, the circumcision of the heart. He's telling them, repent of your sins and turn to me, lest I come and, and burn you with fire. Okay, so the circumcision of the heart is again this uh, attitude of, of love to the Lord and living through loving God. And then let's go to Levit back to Leviticus, verse 26. Or chapter 26, sorry, Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 41. <clears throat> Leviticus 26 and verse 41. And this is God referring to future generations of Israel that have turned from him and he's now punished them. Uh, verse number 41, we'll pick it up. And that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and I will remember the land. And then he's 
promises to bring them back and, and heal their land. Okay, so here we have again circumcision of the heart being turning to God in repentance and love and serving Him in order to live. Okay, so that's what the Old Testament says about circumcision. And I was kind of surprised to see that the Old Testament focuses so much on circumcision of the heart. Uh, I had always been taught that was more of a New Testament concept, but it's not. It's, that's what the Old Testament focused on. The outward circumcision was just to be a sign of the inward circumcision of the heart. And, of course, the, the Jews didn't always live up to that. Many times they were outwardly circumcised and not at all inwardly, and they suffered as a result. But now let's look at the New Testament. Uh, when we turn to the New Testament, we see that Gentile believers are not required to be circumcised. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, at least not required to be circumcised physically. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll start in verse number 18, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 18. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. And so here we have this question that popped up several times in the New Testament uh, as to whether the Gentile believers should be circumcised like the Jewish believers. And in every case that it came up, the answer was always no. And here's a, a very clear, simple explanation from Paul. Uh, the Jews are not to seek to reverse their circumcision when they get saved and become Christians because they're still physically Jews. Let them stay physically Jews. Uh, the Gentiles were not required to be circumcised once they accepted Christ as their Savior. If they were called to God in uncircumcision, let them continue being uncircumcised. And that was the, the command that was given in the New Testament, the instruction there. Is that everyone just stay the way you are as far as circumcision is concerned. The Jews continue in cir circumcision. The Gentiles are not required to, to be circumcised. The uh, we can see an example of this when we. So, from this point on, though, are the Jews still required to be circumcised? Yes, because when uh, when the command was given to Abraham, it was throughout your generations, so so forever, the Jews are still supposed to be circumcised. Uh, so anyway, we can we can see this in the New Testament. The Gentile believers were not required to be circumcised. Uh, there's several examples of this. One very clear one is found in Galatians chapter 2. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul is recounting his opposition to Peter uh, in Antioch. And so Paul and Barnabas are there ministering in Antioch. A lot of Gentiles are getting saved. And Peter comes to visit to see how the work is going. And at first, Peter is willing to eat with the Gentiles, to sit down with the Gentiles and, and fellowship with them and eat with them. And, but then when more Jews came up from Jerusalem, uh, other of the apostles came up and Peter refused to eat with the Gentiles then. He said, no, 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 they're unclean. I have to stay over here with, with the Jews and not eat with the Gentiles. And Paul rebuked him. 
And so we'll pick it up in verse number 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. That's pretty strong. It's not It's not just he took him to the side and said, you know, Peter, this probably isn't a good idea. No, I got in his face and I told him he was wrong. You know, Paul was pretty bold here. Uh, and remember, at this time, Paul's a very young Christian when he's doing this. Uh, it's, it's very, very bold of him uh, to do that. But anyway, it says, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain men or certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. <clears throat> um, I just lost my voice. Okay. So here we have the fearing them which were of the circumcision, showing that the the Jews were of the circumcision. The Gentile believers that he was not sitting with were obviously not of the circumcision. So you, it's obvious right at this time you have a difference between the Jewish believers who were circumcised, the Gentile believers who were not circumcised, and there was there was no uh, statement in there saying that the Gentile believers were in the wrong and they should have become circumcised. Now, the statement was that Peter was wrong for refusing fellowship with the ones that were uncircumcised. Uh, and then if you continue, Paul, throughout all of the book of Galatians, uh, continually comes back to this concept that circumcision is not required uh, for the Gentiles. We can go to chapter 5 and verse number 6. Chapter 5 and verse number 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And then the next chapter, chapter 6 and verse number 13, For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Uh, 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Okay, and so again, repeatedly throughout the book of Galatians, Paul comes back to this idea that Gentile believers do not have to get circumcised. It's not a command that applies to them. Uh, but in the New Testament, we are told that Gentiles have to accept the inward circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. So let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter number 2. We'll start in verse number 11. Colossians 2.11 In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. So here's the type of circumcision that the Gentiles are supposed to have, and that is the circumcision of salvation, the circumcision that is given to both Jews and Gentiles when they turn to God in repentance and trust in him for life. And so that's what's referred to here, circumcision made without hands, so it's inward, it's not 
uh, it's not physical circumcision, putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. So physical circumcision was removing the foreskin, uh, and spiritual for circumcision, it's putting off the, the, the flesh, putting off the sin uh, that rules your life and gaining freedom through Jesus Christ. So putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So that's referring to the same thing as the circumcision of the heart uh, that the, the Jews were to have in the Old Testament. That's still required of every believer in the New Testament. It's not necessarily something we have to do after we're saved because it's something that takes place when we get saved. When we accept Christ as our Savior, He then takes care of that, uh, removes the body of sin from us, and gives us that circumcision of the heart. Uh, however, or in conclusion, therefore, you have the, the Old Testament command, all the descendants of Abraham are to be circumcised. Foreigners only were required to be circumcised if they wanted to become Jewish, part of the, the uh, Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, circumcision of the heart was what was emphasized the most, and was emphasized more strongly than physical circumcision, stated specifically to be better. When we get to the New Testament, the Gentile believers are not required to be circumcised, but they are required, as far as physically circumcised, they are required to have the circumcision of the heart, which comes from Jesus Christ. However, most Christian countries have circumcision that's done regularly. And so the question is, is that wrong? And the answer is no. Circumcision is never forbidden to Gentiles. Uh, so it's not wrong. It's just not required. And if we look in Romans chapter 3. You've heard of that when you're talking about the circumcision Yes, physical circumcision. Circumcision of the flesh is not forbidden to Gentiles. It's never said to be wrong uh, for them. And most Christian countries practice physical circumcision uh, for the, the boys when, they, when they're when they young. And they're, uh, usually it's about eight, eight days, about three to eight days after they're born, sometimes longer, sometimes right away. It just depends on the... the uh, doctor that's doing the uh, procedure. When you say most Christian uh, countries, we've heard refer to the countries that are more Catholic than they are Presbyterian or Episcopalian. No, it's it's uh, universal throughout all the, the various uh, Christian areas in the world. So, uh, most Christians practice circumcision. Uh, and there, I've heard people say that they, the fact that Christians do that is wrong, that sin in order to, to circumcise your child uh, when you're not even Jewish and so on and so forth. Uh, but what I come to when hearing those arguments that it's, it's actually wrong for Gentiles to circumcise their children, I turn to Romans chapter 3 and uh, in chapter 2 Paul had just been talking about circumcision and how uh, there's no advantage to circumcision availeth nothing, and uncircumcision availeth nothing. So, you know, there's no difference between circumcision and uncircumcision in the eyes of God. And then in chapter 3, he asks the question, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? And then in verse number 2, he answers, Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. And so his answer is that there is profit in it. It is beneficial. Um, it's not required. He just went on and said that it. it's not required. 
but it is beneficial. And he used the phrase, much every way. So there's lots of benefits that Paul is presenting here, or is referencing here in circumcision. But uh, it's not required. The primary benefit he's talking about for the, the Jews is that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Well, you know, that's not something that we're looking for for our children, not something that's required uh, for our children, that they be circumcised in order to receive the oracles of God. We have the Bible. It's available to us. Um, there are no new oracles being handed down, so we don't have to worry about that. But there are other benefits, and there have been many studies about the, the various health benefits of circumcision, you can look those up. There's, they've been published in peer-reviewed journals, and they've been published in books. And then you have people come along and say they're absolutely wrong and false. And those get published in peer-reviewed journals and, and published in books. And so there's this big, long debate uh, in the medical community about whether it's actually beneficial or not. But there is a lot of, of evidence that's out there that indicates that it is beneficial. So it's not commanded. It's something that if you're convinced that the... Uh, there are actually health benefits to it that you can uh, do that for your son. Uh, but it's not something that's commanded. It's not a sin either way to have the son circumcised or not circumcised. Either way is fine in the eyes of God. The important thing is circumcision of the heart, which comes through salvation. <coughs> so, interesting study with Did that, you know, as far as today, I mean, being raised as a Catholic, Look at as far as medical. I mean, a lot of a lot of nations per se, and where hospitals actually started. I mean, all started out of you know the Christian or the Catholic side of things. So the idea of circumcising a new birth was sort of like it was sort of a procedure because it was a hospital, a Christian hospital. Right. You know, so it's an interesting study that. See, if parents actually say, yeah, I want it done because of the Christian faith, or well, it was the hospital that said, oh, it's the Christian way to do it. You know, yeah. nowadays, I mean, it is a choice. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting study. And I remember studying it back when my son was born, going through and uh, studying a lot of it. There's a lot of material out there to <laughs> pour through. Anyway, that's the that's the command for circumcision. Any any other comments or questions on that one? All right, we got one more, and we should be able to get through this one really quick. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter twenty-five. And this is the command for uh, Jewish men to marry the wife of a dead brother. Let's look in Deuteronomy 25. We'll see that the Jews were commanded to marry the widows of their near kinsmen if she had no children. Okay, so there's a stipulation there. If she had no children, then he was to, to go in and marry her. And uh, we'll look in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse number 5. If brethren dwell together, and it's not talking about together in the same house. It means they're in the same town, basically. They're Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. So this does not apply right off the bat. It does not apply if you live in a foreign nation. You know, 
the Jews, if he had one brother that was way off in a foreign nation and another one here in Israel, and one of them died and their wife didn't have kids, you know, it, this didn't apply to that because they weren't together. Okay, but it's only if brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. <clears throat> and if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gates, gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. Okay, so here's the command. It's interesting, a couple things. There's there's a lot of skeptics that ridicule this command and talk about how draconian the, the biblical laws were because of things like this. Um, and also saying that this is commanding polygamy and, and things like that. But there's several things to look at. First of all, the command was a command, but it wasn't a requirement. No man was required to marry the wife of his dead brother. He could just say, I don't want to. See, right there, it's, uh, verse number 7. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, he doesn't have to have a reason. All he has to do is say, you know what, I don't want to do this. And he doesn't have to do it. There's no punishment other than the fact that, you know, she takes his shoe off his foot and Everyone, it's recorded in, in the record book that he did it and he didn't want to do it. But that's it. So it's it's not a requirement. Uh, it was just some, a provision that God created uh, for the Jews for a specific reason. Any man could avoid this duty if he didn't want it. Now, we don't have time to go into it. We only got a couple minutes left. But this command was given because of the way God structured the family ownership of the land of Israel. And you have other commands like, um, is it uh, Zelophehad's daughters? Uh, remember, he, he died without having any sons, and he only had daughters, and all the inheritance in the land went through the sons, and it stayed in the family name through the sons. And they came to Moses and said, what are we going to do? And so Moses made an exception to the law, uh, saying that in, in the case where there are no sons, it can go through the daughters, and the the sons of those daughters would take the name of their father rather than taking the name of take the name of the daughter's fathers. <laughs> so their maternal grandparents, they would get the, the inheritance from their maternal grandfather. Uh, and so all of that was tied to the way the land was owned and the way the land stayed in the family. You remember Naboth's vineyard and he couldn't sell the land because it was, it was in his family. The land had to stay there. The year of Jubilee and the returning of the land to the, the original families. All that's just very peculiar to the nation of Israel. And this law had to do with that. It was the idea that there's a, a man in Israel who doesn't have a son to pass his land down to. And so 
this is how God established for that man's inheritance to be passed on. And so it's just a peculiarity for the law of Israel. Now this command was uh, exemplified in Ruth. There's the bell. Time's up. All right. And this, this law was exemplified in, in Ruth. If you remember in Ruth, there was a, a closer kinsman than Boaz. Boaz went to that closer kinsman and said, Hey, um, you know, um, <clears throat> Elimelech left all this land over here. And do you want to go out and claim it as the kinsman? The guy said, Yeah, I'd like to have that land. And he said, Well, when you do that, you also have to take uh, Ruth as your wife. And he said, oh, well, I can't do that. And the reason he gave was because it would mar my own inheritance. So in other words, I've already got a wife and kids. So I can't take a wife and raise kids through her because that would mess up my inheritance to my kids. And so he said, well, yep, I can't do it then. And so the shoe was taken off his foot. Boaz then was given uh, permission to marry Ruth. And so he did. He performed the role of the, the near kinsman. Uh, in the New Testament, Gentiles are not required to keep this law. It's it's never mentioned as a requirement for Gentiles in the New Testament. Never mentioned as a requirement for Gentiles in the Old Testament. Uh, it was just a law that was necessary in order to uh, maintain the laws of inheritance that God had created for the nation of Israel. So that's the law for marrying the wife of a dead brother. Any comments or questions? All right, let's go ahead and to be dismissed in prayer. Uh, Brother Parsons, do you mind closing us in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we 